was talking to Jerry, uh, Jerry Jampolsky, uh, a couple nights ago, uh, nights ago, and we were talking about our New Year's Eve resolutions. And uh, there are people who actually think that either Jerry or I wrote A Course in Miracles uh, and other absurd, they attribute other absurd things uh, to us. We give talks and people actually show up to hear us give talks and things like that. And uh, so what fancy New Year's resolution might the great Jerry Jampolsky and the far more humble human <laughs> make. Turns out that we had the same New Year's resolution. We worded it a little differently. Do you know what it was? To stay in the present. And that's what you find as you go along on your journey home. Instead of becoming more and more sophisticated and fancy, instead of having more and more ways to express the truth, there's this lovely simplification that begins to set in, not only in your life, but in your mind. And so there are these few truths that shine like precious jewels, and you keep them tucked away in your pocket and there are just a few of them. And to stay in the present, of course, is one of them. What we talked about at the end of last service is another, and that is that peace is our only goal. And these two are actually the same. All truth is the same. And possibly this is why the wording becomes more and more simple and why our approach, our walk home, becomes more and more direct is because the truth is one. And we realize we don't need more and more words, more and more books, more and more concepts, more and more seminars. All we need is to see that we love our Father and that our Father loves us. And that's all we need. And that love grows and grows and begins to spread out. And pretty soon, it encompasses even this world. This very, very unhappy dream. So that even this very unhappy dream glows with the love and the peace of God, even as it continues on with its usual insanity. And the insanity itself is not so much a tragedy now, but becomes as laughable as the insanity in your dreams last night. John actually wakes up in the middle of the night and tells me about his dream, <laughs> tells me about the dream he's just had. <clears throat> um, and it will become that way, and it is becoming that way for all of us. And all we have to do is to content ourselves with a little progress each day. Not try for the big breakthrough. If you will content yourself with a little progress each day, you will get there far before you can imagine getting there. And there is here. 
Where else is God? So do that. Make a little gain each day. And we're going to talk about how to do that. The simple things. The things that we have talked about most these last two years. So let's talk a little bit more about peace because we didn't get to talk about that very long last time. In counseling people after church in that little room back there, I am surprised how often I ask someone, what is the first thing that they do in the morning? And uh, I don't know, it's drink a six-pack or it's (laughs) weigh and scream. Um, Almost never do I hear the first thing I do is I set my purpose for the day. My dear friends, my brothers and my sisters, if you will hear this, this will save you so much time. I cannot tell you how much time it will save you if you will start this, at least this one spiritual practice. There are so many spiritual practices that we can do. And we've mentioned many of them. But if you can't have any other spiritual practice, have this one. During the night, you are in a dream state, a dream about a dream. And so it is almost pure ego. It's not just once removed, it's twice removed. And so you are leaving almost a pure ego state. I'm not saying that God can't speak to you uh, in a dream, for, for of course we've had this experience. But in the ordinary course of the night, for most people, This is what you go through. And so when you wake in the morning, you need an extra effort to shift channels. And you want to do that. It might be helpful for most of you to start saying something over and over in your mind the minute you you, you see that you're waking up. It might be good to plan that out the night before just before you go to sleep. What thought will you wake with? If you need to, write it out and have it beside you. But if you can memorize it and just have it the first thing, and then you say this truth over and over in your mind, you see. The truth doesn't matter. The wording doesn't matter. Something that calls to your heart, something that's gentle and happy, that sets you out on the right track, that sets you out towards home today, so that you will make more progress toward home today. That's what you want to do. And you want to start early. Now, you are simply kidding yourself if you think you can start the day by worrying about what you are going to do today and criticizing yourself about what you did yesterday and not be in a state of worry and judgment for the rest of the day. It's not that you can't get back to peace, but you are so unlikely to do it if you start the day out that way, and it will take great effort to do it. 
Whereas if you will do this simple spiritual practice first thing in the morning and give yourself enough time, so you have to get up five minutes earlier. What difference does it make? It will save you so much time to do this. It will make you so much happier. It will make you such a better friend. Your day will go so much more smoothly. And even the decisions that you make in this world will be sounder and simpler and more peaceful decisions. Even the decisions you make about money and whether or not to have the date or whether or not to uh, buy the car, switch granolas or whatever the thing may be. So do that. Go ahead and start that spiritual practice. You are worth it. The only reason you haven't started it or that you're not doing it adequately or you're not doing it consistently is you don't think you are worth it. And most people do not think they are worth much effort. We really do have a very shabby concept of ourselves. Don't underestimate the shabbiness of your self-image. <laughs> But you didn't make yourself. You didn't make yourself. I'm not a body. I am free. For I'm still as God created me, says A Course in Miracles. And that is a fact. There is a light. There is a perfection that cannot go out. And it's in, it's in your heart. It can't go out. You cannot put it out. I don't care what you have done or how many times you've done it, or how secret are your guilts, or how great are your embarrassments, you have not touched that light. It is there. It is your deep desire. You do feel this yearning, and it is you. And in fact, it's all there is to you. This identity that we have established in the world is just like a cloud or something that circles around the light and appears to dim it, but it cannot touch it, and it is not at war with it, because the light of God does not fight anything, knowing that it is all there is. And so you are worth it. Of course you have yearnings to do and be good. Of course you want to help people. Of course you would like to reach out and lift someone out of their misery today. Of course you want to be peaceful and happy. Why don't you deserve it? Face your ego and ask your ego, why don't I deserve to have the kind of life I want? Then go ahead and have it. And a very, very powerful aid to this is to start the day on the right track, to orient your mind towards what is truly important. And if you will do that, then you have this reserve of strength that you carry with you. And you can fall back on it so much more easily. Of course you will make mistakes, but you'll have this reserve that you have uh, built up in the morning. And so you'll be able to get back to it so much more quickly because you are going to make mistakes. But you won't make the additional mistake of simply dwelling on the mistake you've just made. You'll remember because you've set your purpose. And the purpose is that all you want today 
is the peace of God. This is your absolute and final bottom line. You want peace. You want to feel the peace of God. You want to have the experience of the peace of God. Peace is God. And the more peace you feel, the more you have entered home, the more you have entered God, the more you know what you are. Most of us at this stage have no conception whatsoever of what the peace of God is. None. How about now? How about now? Let's do it. Don't worry about what it is. Walk towards what you think it is. It's simple gentleness and kindness. It's relaxation. It's a freedom from worry. It's this sort of uh, softness. It's a welcome. It's a feeling of all is well. It's a lightness, and you will feel more and more actually transported. Maybe that's too uh, flashy a word. Lifted up, more and more uh, carried along, free. More and more the feeling that there really isn't anything for you to do. It's all being taken care of. You are being carried in Jesus' arms back home. You wandered off a little lambkin. The shepherd came along, picked you up, and all that's being asked of you is that you not squeal and kick around and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> because when you squeal and kick around, the shepherd, which is pure gentleness, must stop. There is no force in God. There is no coercion in God. And if you say, halt, help, I don't want to go home, and it stops, then the journey stops, you see. But if you're peaceful, then you're relaxing. You're seeing that there's nothing to fear from your home, from your father, from yourself, from oneness. All these concepts that just terrify the ego. Don't be afraid. All you have to find out is, do you want a little extra peace today? That's the only question. You don't have to worry about what is it going to be like. Just ask yourself, what is it like to be a little happier today? To judge a little less often? To be a little less irritated? That's the only question. And you know the answer to that. You know you want to be a little happier, a little more peaceful, a little less likely to ignite. So, you start the day that way. Then, the second thing is that you don't leave this circle of peace. You've wrapped it around you like a cloak The Christ is real. There really is Christ. Another name for Christ is Jesus. There really is Jesus. There really is a friend. There really and truly is. You can feel this friend. You can feel your friend's arms around you in the morning, encircling you in the morning. You can feel your friend go with you during the day, and you can feel yourself leave 
this cloak of light. This is a good sense to develop. The ego loves to start the day in misery. And I can tell you that it is very unlikely that you won't make mistakes very early in the day. You'll do things that you know you shouldn't do, and then you will beat up on yourself thinking that this is the solution, or something will happen. Something will happen. So just expect that. That's going to that's gonna take place. But what you want to do is to see, ah, I'm stepping outside the center of the storm, the calm center of the storm. Have that sense of going through the day in this center of peace. This is a fact. This is a fact that is actually more real, more substantive, more count-onable than the pew that you are sitting on. Nothing's wrong with these pews, you understand? <laughs> It's really true. Talk to your friend, feel your friend's presence, and feel when you leave the presence and the blessing of your friend. You don't actually do it, but in fantasy you do it, and it feels like you've done it. And so if you can get a sense of this feeling of stepping outside the calm center of the storm into the storm and getting caught up in something in the world, then you'll realize all you have to do is to step back into it. But when you're in the calm center of the storm, you are making progress home. And when you're in the storm, you're simply making no progress. And you're probably going backwards and you're going to have to retrace your steps. This is especially true of anger. Anger is, is a bolting in the wrong direction. Remember the guy that ran, touched, ran the touchdown in the wrong direction several years back in the NFL? All right, that's what it is. You take the ball and run in the opposite direction when you get irritated, when you get angry. So, of course, you can't help doing that, but you can cut it shorter. See how short you can cut it. Watch your irritation. Sit there and look at yourself being angry and monitor yourself and, and ask yourself, am I ready now to stop this? Because anger will not get you anything it will not get you anything. It won't make you happier. It won't, it'll make someone behave, yes. You can get angry at them and they may be less likely to do that thing again. But they'll want to do it and they'll resent it that they can't do it around you and you have gained nothing. And there's now this guilt and this, this uh, wedge between you, you see. You don't want irritation. You don't want anger. It is not your friend. It accomplishes nothing. Be done with it. At least watch yourself when you're irritated and cut it as short as you can. Remember the basic tools that you have. One of them is breaking with the situation. Going off someplace, stopping the car, going into the bathroom, whatever it is you need to do. And just sitting there and watching the anger for a minute. If you just watch the ego, it begins to dissolve. Because you are watching it. And you have within you the light of God. That's why mere watching, mere awareness is so powerful. Because you are the one that's doing the watching. And you don't know what you are. And you're surprised that it has this effect. 
How is it that just watching some mistake that you keep making, how is it that just watching it begins to dissolve the mistake? How is this possible? Because you don't realize what's watching it. You don't realize that you're the child of God. And the light of God streams into this dark area when you just turn your attention and look straight at it. The easy way out. That is uh, the uh, profound, I mean, excuse me, the profane phrase of the ego. Well, that's the easy way out. <laughs> uh, you ought to stay here and face it. That's, that's, I've been hearing that one a lot. <clears throat> All right, now, people... If you, can, if you can look at this, if you can see this this morning, this will save you as much time as the starting the day will save you time. Let's look at this. The concept is that you can't go home until you learn to deal with every emotion that this world has. Every situation, every temptation. The belief is that it is good for you to stay there and fight the battle for the future, for the sake of the future. This will make you a stronger, better person. Now, if there were only one or two or three or four emotions or situations in the world, this would be logical. This would make some sense. But don't you see how many emotions and how many situations there are how many temptations, how many disturbing stimuli there are in this world? Don't you see there is no end to these battles? And so what are you doing? This thing is probably not going to come up again. Whatever this battle is, you think you must fight. And so you will save enormous time if you can learn that the general opinion in the world that fighting temptation is the way to go home is certainly not the easiest and simplest way to go home. And by no means is it the fastest. You can get home that way. But why walk with bloodied footsteps all the way home? when you can skip through the tulips. <laughs> it can be so simple. The world wants to be honored. It indeed makes people... I was talking to a friend of mine recently who had gone to an extremely disturbing movie and was telling me that I ought to see it. <laughs> and I said, well... You knew that it was going to be a disturbing movie before you, you went to it. Um, why did you go to it? You've got to face the real world. Now this is a very deeply ingrained belief. And so we have got to read every horrible story in the newspaper. Every criticism. Maybe you have begun to feel this already. 
Did you know that everybody on this earth is your brother and your sister? And when you start reading stories in the paper or listening to comments on television, criticizing other people, and notice how much of this there is all over the place. You can't, we can't, you can't even watch a, uh, a sporting event on television without there being this very unkind singling out. Have you noticed this? Now, in the beginning, it just seems, well, that's just the way it is, and they probably deserve it, and there's this feeling of sort of righteousness about the whole thing. You're listening to it. You're not being participated. You're not participating in it. And so it's sort of like, you remember when we were back in the first, second, third, fourth grade, something like that, and we were so happy that the, that the kid next to us was getting uh, yelled at, you know. Do you remember that feeling, or if you, if you had a brother or sister? Do you remember how great it was that your parents were coming down on top of their head? Do you remember that feeling? All right, now that's kind of the feeling in the beginning. We hear the criticism of the football player or the whatever, the coach or the whatever the thing is. It's so unhappy. It's so unfair, isn't it? And the books that are raked over. Thank God I, people don't, don't uh, review my books. This was one of those serendipities. Uh, my uh, editor is always trying to get people to review it, and I'm always pleading with her, please don't try to get anybody to review my book. Uh, but now I realize that I have another option. They can review them all they want. I'm just not going to read them. Uh, and, the, and the political campaigns and the things that have to be said in order to win the campaign and all this stuff. Do you see how cruel this world is? Do you have to expose yourself to that? Maybe some of you, maybe many of you, in fact, are beginning to feel the sadness. You may not even realize where this is coming from. When you read the paper or listen to the news or overhear the average conversation at lunch, and you feel this sadness because your brother was attacked. That's why you feel sad. Your brother was attacked. Everyone's doing the best they can, and all criticism is based on the assumption that they know better and they're just perverse. And this is ridiculous, isn't it? Could you have done any differently 20 years ago? Look back at yourself. Of course you couldn't have. So where's the grounds for the criticism? Plus the, st uh, plus the fact that we need to make these mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. There is no grounds for the criticism. So you don't have to expose yourself to this. You don't have to drink. You don't have to be a person who can drink. You don't have to be a person who can go to a lot of parties. You don't have to be a person who can do anything in this world. There is nothing that you have to do. You need do nothing, says A Course in Miracles. Feel the freedom of that statement. You need do nothing. Turn and walk towards your father and make it easier on yourself. And don't fight battles out of build assumption this is building character. You see. And so I got tears in my eyes as I was sitting up here listening to you sing. 
And I was saying to myself, these dear, gentle people. And I don't want to leave you. And I love Santa Fe. But there are just too many battles now for me. Yes, I can stay here and fight the battles. But love is one thing. And what will bless me will bless you. Because love is one. We cannot choose what is truly in our best interests without choosing what is in everyone else's best interests at the same instant. And so I love this church, but the situation has just become too chaotic for me in Santa Fe. Of course I can hack it out, but it's not necessary to do that. And so Gail and I are simply going to take our little family and we're going to find a peaceful place where we can walk home where there's not quite as many stimuli that I myself, as I told you, created. It's not Santa Fe's fault. And you can do that. You don't have to shop at such and such a store. You don't have to go into such and such a checkout line. You've had dealings with that clerk? Yes, it's going to save you uh, three minutes because the shortest line is there. But if that clerk calls to your ego, which is more important? Maintaining your peace or the extra three or four minutes? We walk on a bed of peace. That's the quickest and the easiest way to get home, you see. Now, the other thing that we talked about was guidance. Oh, I'll just tell you something. A friend of mine uh, talking about uh, Santa Fe and what I've done here in Santa Fe. And uh, a friend of my, a friend of ours came to town recently, and Gail told him that uh, I was that we were going to leave Santa Fe, and he was appalled. He said, but Hugh is so well-known in Santa Fe. <laughs> hey, you honestly could not understand that. And I couldn't understand it either, and that's why I set out to make myself well-known in Santa Fe, because I thought that it had value. Nothing in this world has value. And being well-known will not make you happy. But he could not for the life of him understand why you would leave a town where you were well known. <laughs> okay, so the, the other thing was um, the guidance. Now, another thing that happens back here in this little room, you see, you don't think I'm listening to you, do you? <laughs> you, think, you think you've caught me off guard by by your tears and the, and the fact that I only have toilet paper to offer you. I don't know why we've never gotten Kleenex back there. <laughs> so you and I hold hands back there and we pray. And then do you know what a lot of you do? I'll say, okay. Now what is it that you want to do? Because that's what you're doing. You're holding, you're holding hands and you're looking in your heart and you're seeing what you want to do. And you know what a lot of you do? You say, well, 
I think what I heard was, or I think what I got was, people, this is not the way to receive guidance. Forget this business of trying to hear something and trying to get something and to read all these signs. I told you about the time that Gail and I had spent too much money one summer. I was actually building a little swimming pool for John, and it just went on and on, and I've told you that story. And It ended by our having to reroute all the electricity to the house because someone, as now it was all completed and we'd done all this stuff, and someone said, do you realize that the electricity runs under that pool? And that one day you may fry about ten kids? <laughs> Um, so we didn't have uh, we had we'd, we'd spent more money than we should have spent on this pool but we started hearing about this car and the special engine that it had and got good gas mileage and so forth state of the art right okay so uh we thought, well, I wonder if we should trade our car in, which is only one year old. Should we trade our car in and get this other car? Uh, so we were reading signs in those days. And so when, we, when the question came up, we had a few minutes. We had a few minutes between appointments. And that, of course, was a sign. So we went over to the dealership. We were just going to talk to them about the car, you see. And they got out the brochures, and they saw oh, it was even better than we thought, and so forth. But they did not have a single one of these cars. They sold them the minute they came in, and they were very sorry. Uh, they could put our name down on the waiting list if they would like, but just didn't have any. Do you know what happened? At that very instant, one of the cars drove up. <laughs> It had been traded from another dealership. You know how that works? You know, the other dealership sends in one car. And this car arrived right then. A sign from heaven. <laughs> well, what can you give us on our car? We had to take a several thousand dollar loss on our car, buy this car we had no business buying. But all the signs, I can tell you, were right. <laughs> That was the last time that Gail and I ever read signs. <laughs> God does not stand at the corner of the room and mumble. If you're asking yourself, I think what I heard was, I can tell you it is not coming from your peace. And if it's not coming from your peace, it's not coming from God, because God is peace. And so the other way of saving yourself time is, make your guidance peace. Don't be afraid to look in your heart and ask yourself, what do you want to do? As if you'd never heard another spiritual concept. So you become peaceful, yes. And you feel the presence of your best friend. And you fall back in his arms. And you just cover yourself, blanket yourself with peace and gentleness 
And then you look in your heart and ask yourself what you want to do. And realize that there is no right answer. Because the world is the same. And so all you're doing is picking a peaceful, a peaceful answer. A peaceful answer. And you try it. And if it doesn't work, you simply repeat the process. So now, let's look at this little uh, gym here. Now, you know, I've tried to do everything in the last two years to gain your confidence. Um, so that's why I haven't mentioned my books. Uh, <laughs> because somebody's going to think, well, he's just up there selling books. This is safe, though, because this is from a book that's not published. You can't buy this book. I'll tell you the name of this book. It'll be out in probably about a year or so. Uh, How to Live in the World and Still Be Happy. So this is, um, this is from that, and since you can't go out and buy it, I feel it's safe for me to refer to it. So here's this little thing. Uh, gosh, a lot of you don't have this. What happened? We had put out a lot of them. Um, so let's just run through this. I'll read this to you. Remember, there's a stack of these back there on the table, those of you who don't have them. Here are the essentials of how to make a decision from your heart rather than from your ego. When you see that you have a question, stop. This is the thing that we don't do. The ego has you, when you see that you have a question, rush. <laughs> so the ego value is rush into a decision. And you can actually feel this feeling of rush, of tension, of, to, of having to get it over with, you see. If at all possible, sit down. Now, sitting down is just wonderful. I can tell you, those of you who are married, how to improve your marriage. One, how much, how much percent will we, uh, let's see. Let's say that your marriage is, uh, out of 100, let's say it's a 12. <laughs> now, if you'll just do this one thing, we'll raise it to a 40. Okay, and that is don't discuss anything standing up. <laughs> don't discuss anything while you're doing something else. Don't discuss things while you're driving the car or shopping or eating dinner or anything else. If there is some issue, if there's some question that has come up, stop and sit down. And you have already tripled the chances of your coming to a peaceful and happy solution. The ego loves to be in the posture as well as the frame of rush, you see. And so it wants to do a number of things at the same time. You'll save yourself time by stopping. Now, because you get it, you know, it's done peacefully, you don't have to repeat it, and the argument doesn't go on and on and on forever. If at all possible, sit down. Do this before your mind begins considering alternatives and their ramifications. So that's the second thing that the ego will have you do when you have a decision to make. First, it wants you to rush into it. And the second thing is it wants you to start considering answers and their ramifications. It wants you to start considering alternatives. Now, notice what happens. 
I know I've said this before many times. But please listen to it this time. Please listen to it this time. Your mind starts considering alternatives and you scare yourself. Your mind becomes fear dominated as soon as you do that and you cannot make a good, sound, peaceful decision. So you do not scare yourself by immediately jumping from the question to possible alternatives and their ramifications. Don't do that. Notice that process. See that process and avoid it. The ego thinks that worrying about things in this manner will make you more likely to arrive at a good decision. It is simply ridiculous that it will not happen because it is the amount of peace you have in your mind and in your heart that determines the quality of the decision and not whether or not you've considered an unlimited number of factors and what-ifs. There is no end to the what-ifs. You, you get on an endless, unhappy road when you start thinking about the what-ifs. And if you even go further and start discussing it with people, they'll tell you all the ones you haven't thought of. <laughs> and now you're so confused that you can't make a decision. So avoid all that. Stop. Don't consider the alternatives. Don't consider the possible answers. Stop. You have the question. Stop. Sit down. While seated, relax and be at peace. You do not have to attain some mystical state of divine peace, but you do have to take enough time to be certain you are as much at peace as you are capable of at the moment. So that is your certainty. That is your perfection. If you want perfection, let it be I'm certain I'm as peaceful as I can get now. Now, you can have a sense of that. This is as good as I can do now. And you can have a real sense of that, you see. Whatever, you, whatever mental or physical trick you need to put your mind at ease, use it. Once you're positive you've done this, look very closely at the problem. So this is what you do instead of consider alternatives. You turn and look at the problem, at the issue. Just look at it. We are not in a habit of doing this. We are in the habit of... The ego exists in half-light, people. Everything that hurts you exists because you haven't looked at it. It cannot hurt you once you begin looking at it. The sting goes out of it. There is no question that you can't solve or walk around or in some way put behind you. But you must turn and look at what your ego is up to. Ask it what it's up to. Write down. It's very, very good to write these things out. Not the answers and the, all the stuff, but the problem. What is the situation that you think is generating this question? Look at it. Write about it. Concentrate on it. Take your time and make sure that you see it clearly. Remember not to scare yourself by imagining consequences that would result from various solutions. In fact, don't think about answers at all. Just look at the problem. Then, making sure you're not limiting your options in any way, look into your heart and ask yourself if there's anything you want to do about this problem now, today. And so, of course, you don't want to tackle a problem that you can't do anything about. Wait, of course, until it's, you're in a position to do something about it. And then there's a little bit more there. I won't read the rest of it. 
Now, let's go to the second thing, which is the present. Our service is almost over, so I won't have much time to uh, spend on this, so maybe we'll go into this a little bit more. So we're going now from peace to the present. The ego has a definition for every spiritual concept that there is. It has a substitute definition, and it has one for peace. And the ego's definition, excuse me, for the present. And the ego's definition of the present means no interruptions. So the ego's definition of staying in the present means that you get to continue what you're doing. Just look at this. So you're doing something, and if there's an interruption, you have this feeling that something has gone wrong. All that's gone wrong is that the ego's definition of peace has been violated. Interruptions make no difference whatsoever. Peace is God. It is the door. The, excuse me. The present is God. So is peace, of course. The present is God. And so when you stay in the present, you are entering God. That's what you're doing. It has nothing to do with the task that's at hand. Now, I have said, I have made the suggestion that you might want to try the exercise of telling yourself what you're doing and doing it in peace. But if that particular exercise throws you off center a little bit, if you find that you are leaning a little bit towards the future, then it's not a good exercise for you. It is a very good exercise for some people. But can you see how some people might take it and then they've got their mind, they're, they're, not, they're leaning out of the present a little bit because they think of the task that they are doing as having a beginning and end and having a future. The one thing that everyone can do is to simply ask themselves, are they doing what they want to do? So you simply pause and ask yourself, do I want to be doing this? Don't be afraid of that. Or if the time has come now for there to be a change of activity, you're getting ready to do something else, to simply pause and say, is this what I want to do next? That will bring you into the present. That will center you, so to speak. But interruptions make no difference. Gail and I are painting our kitchen at this time. So uh, we went to uh, Big Joe's was open on uh, Monday, you know, the national holiday. Uh, but they were, well, the guy said he came, he just came in, just happened to come in. And people just swarmed in there. He had to get help and so forth. So, uh, so we went in and we looked through the little paint chart. Have you ever tried to pick the right paint from one of these half-inch by half-inch little squares of color? <laughs> Well, we, 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 we knew we could do that. So, um, and we picked, being both ministers, the one called Heavenly Blue. Uh, it was the worst color I've ever seen. I've never done it. It was, I, well, just terrible. So we just didn't go with anything. I'm sure it was a, it looked like a gigantic baby bed. Is what it looked like. Um, so, we went back to Big Joe's. 
looked at a little color chart. And then, <laughs> this, is, this is a true story. Uh, <laughs> we picked chili sauce. That's the name of the paint. Now, can you go wrong with a name like that? Uh, it's the other end of the spectrum, I realize. But, uh, and there seemed to be something symbolic about the fact that the chili sauce would not cover the heavenly blue. <laughs> and we thought that the heavenly blue was the worst color, but actually chili sauce was the worst. And so we had patches of chili sauce and ch heavenly blue. And John came in and he said, he looked around this and he said, Good job, parents. <laughs> he thought this is the greatest thing he'd ever seen. <laughs> now, if we hadn't reminded ourselves before we began that day that interruptions didn't matter, this would have been a horrible day because it was just one interruption after the other because then I went to wards, got the wrong pain again. <laughs> uh, it was called chocolate brown. Now, of course, you know, it's chocolate. Now, if it had been whole wheat brown, it may have worked. So, being in the present means being gentle and flexible. Yes, you give your mind to what you're doing, but you don't insist that it continue when something else has interfered with it. There is no rigidity. There is no investment in any activity, because the present is God, and all you're trying to do is to walk home. And the best way to walk home is, of course, to take care of the things that need to be taken care of. That's why you must see what your priorities are. You have to see what your priorities are. And so that when you do have a moment, you go to the thing that most needs to be taken care of, rather than something that uh, needs to be done, but it's not the most important thing, you see. But you stay in the present. You remain in the present. And so let's end with the assignment. And we may talk a little bit next time more about the present because that's so fundamental. Now, the assignment that I gave you last time, and I know that some of you actually did this assignment. Um, I can't tell you whether or not you should do these assignments. I can tell you that the, the assignments will be so simple that they can't possibly hurt you. And I know they will help you to some degree. Now, it could be that you personally will have such a sense of sacrifice about doing something during the week that it simply won't be worthwhile for you to do it. But let me urge you to trust me that by doing the little assignment that I give you, it will help you far more than this talk on Sunday will. You will make far more progress by putting a little something into systematic practice. And so I'd like those of you who have not considered doing the assignment to reconsider for a moment and just see, would you like to go ahead and try this? The assignments are not unhappy. Work to the ego is always uh, tedious. It always has a certain tinge of tiredness. The very, the very uh, concept of work, the very word work, conjures up a certain amount of tiredness and boredom and tedium and so forth. 
That is not true of spiritual work. Spiritual work is not ego work. Spiritual work makes you happy. So, for example, A Course in Miracles says that if you make a mistake, correct it. A mistake calls only for correction, is what it says. Now, you can tell, for example, if you're, you're responding correctly to a mistake you've just made by whether or not what you're doing is making you happy. A mistake calls only for correction. If you are truly correcting it, you are already happy. The correcting process, even though it may take a little time, is actually enjoyable and restful and satisfying. But if you are doing something that is not correcting the mistake, then you will not be happy. And it will be ego work and therefore actually carrying you in the wrong direction. A lot of huffing and puffing, but you're going in the wrong direction. So let me remind you of what the little assignment was last time. It was to watch your mind very, very carefully for any time you set a goal of any, time, of any kind except for the goal of being at peace. So any other goal, such as getting there on time or getting dinner finished by a certain time or uh, getting something clean today, uh, or any little thing, uh, setting the goal of I want to wear such and such, and you go to the closet and it's dirty, or you remember that you put in a dirty clothes or something like that. Even that little goal. Watching the little setting of goals and noticing how you cannot experience God if you have set a goal. You can't do it. You're out of the present. And if you're out of the present, you're out of God, at least in your own mind you think you are. So it is vital that we become aware of setting goals. And so what I suggested was that you carry a little pad of paper around with you. Keep it beside you in the car and everything. Every time you notice that you've set even the teeniest of goals, getting a parking place nearest the front door, anything, you write it down. Just jot it down. Don't. If you're setting the same goal over and over, write it down and you'll see how many times you're setting it and whether or not you want to continue doing that, you see. So I would recommend that you continue that, watching very, very carefully the setting of goals. And this week, I would suggest that you add one thing to that exercise. Whenever you see that your mind has jumped to the future, which means you're trying to set a goal, break with the thought, interrupt the thought. This is a very good thing to learn. That all you have to do is not complete the thought. The ego has a course that you are on. When you get on an ego line of thought, there's an actual course that you are on. And the destination is anger or misery or depression or something like that. If you follow it, that's exactly where you're going to go. Frustration, something like that. So all you want to do is realize that you're, it doesn't matter how long you've been on this wrong course, but you realize that your mind is on the wrong track and you just interrupt it. You don't chastise yourself about it. You just interrupt the thought, the setting of the goal, and you bring your mind back to the present. Now here's the second part. Feel what happens when you bring your mind back to the present. You are entering something. Heaven is not a word. Reality is real. There actually is God and there actually is Christ 
and the world is actually a dream. But you've got to experience this or else these are just concepts. And so get this sense of leaving this future orientation, this future track, and going into the present and get this sense of actually entering something that's a little bit more substantial. Just notice. Don't take my description for your feelings. Don't tell yourself that you feel what I'm saying. See for yourself, what do you feel when you enter the present as best you can? Even if it's only for two seconds and your mind jumps off again, it doesn't matter. Count the fact that you broke off a thought and entered the present as a win, as a victory, as your success. Because your ego will have you criticize yourself for the fact that your mind wandered off. You see, that's the ego. Both are so here. You are, here it is. You see, your mind's wandered off. The ego steps in and says. Yes, look at how many times you've done this already today. You're never going to learn this. <laughs> and that, of course, is another mistake, an additional mistake. What you want to do is to say, no, I don't care how many times I've done it today. All I care about is making a little progress today. And every time you make one of these spiritual efforts, I tell you, you come a step closer to heaven, nirvana, perfection, Absolute truth, love, brotherhood, happiness, peace, whatever words you want to use for God, you come a step closer to yourself in God. You come a, close, a step closer to that. So it's a victory. If you want to put a little check in your book every time you break with the thought and come back so that you can have the right emphasis on this. Look at how far you've come rather than how far you have to go. So the ego wants you always to look at how far you have to go. So you'll be depressed and discouraged. And the Holy Spirit wants you to look at how far you've come. And every time you take a step, you're coming further. You're coming along, you see. 